those are those are things that we might get around to. But one day he is coming. That's a certainty. He's coming. And I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you so much for the certainty of the resurrection and the certainty that one day you are coming to receive your church to yourself. And forever, your church will be with you. I pray that if there are some in here today that are not a part of your church, Lord, I'm begging you that today could be the day of salvation for these individuals. I thank you so much for the gift of eternal life that is only found through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in His name I pray these things. Amen. There were many personalities associated with the events of Christ's death on the cross. The Gospel writers introduce us to them as they record the unfolding drama of Golgotha. And perhaps no one person is better known to us than the man Pontius Pilate, who presided over the trials of our Lord. Please listen carefully as Pilate steps out of the pages of history to tell his story. The year was A.D. 33, as you moderns count time. And it was a very difficult year for me, because as ruler over Judea, I had responsibility for those Jews, those fanatical people with their monotheistic blood sacrifices, always claiming to be the people of God, always looking for their mystical Messiah who would come one day and free them from the bondage to Rome. (laughs) Rubbish. At least, I thought so then. It was a tumultuous time. There were many who were coming and claiming to be Messiah. Insurrectionists. Troublemakers. But I had my spies everywhere. And they brought to me everything that was going on. And I examined every one of them. And if anyone posed to be a threat to me or to the emperor, they were crushed under the heel of Rome. But the Jews, they were just so unrulable. They were so unreasonable. No matter what I did, they would protest. One time, all I did was order a legion of Roman soldiers to enter into Jerusalem with their standards, with the golden eagle and the name of the emperor. Now, 
Roman soldiers have entered 10,000 cities a time, time and again. And no one has ever protested. No one has ever complained. And if they did, they would be dealt with and they would learn about the Roman power that we have. But did these Jews? No, no, not them. There was a mob of people at the palace, and they began to, to uh, scream and protest. And they were saying that this was idolatry, and this was an abomination in their holy city. And they wanted the soldiers removed, and they wanted the standards removed. And I went out and I told them that they were to disperse or else they would feel the heel of Rome. But for four days, they stayed out in the streets and they shouted and they protested. And finally, I'd had enough. I went out again to them and I also sent my soldiers out to mingle among them. And I told them, disperse and go back to your homes or you'll be killed on the spot. And at that signal, my soldiers unsheathed their swords, hundreds of them in the crowd. And I thought, ah, now, now, now they'll understand. Now they'll get the message. Not these Jews. No. They put their, their hands to their necks and they said, Here, here, strike us here. We would rather die than see this idolatry take place in our city. Well, what was I supposed to do? I mean, there were so many of them. I couldn't kill them all. So I ordered the soldiers to retreat back to Caesarea. It was humiliating. And if that wasn't bad enough, an envoy was sent to Rome with their complaint. And soon enough, a message came back from Rome rebuking me for what had happened. It was humiliating. And it wasn't long after that when another thing happened. This time, all I was trying to do was to find a way to honor my benefactor, Tiberius Caesar. You see, you may not know this, but I was not appointed by Tiberius to my position, but by the one who preceded him, Sejanus. And so in order to curry the favor of my new emperor and build a little goodwill, and even perhaps to make it easier to rule over these Jews... I ordered these shields to be put in Herod's palace. And these shields were made of gold. And on them, there was no, no eagle, no golden eagle, just the shields and the name of myself as the donor and the name of Tiberius as the one that I was trying to honor. And immediately, the same protests, they protested, saying that this was blasphemy and idolatry, and they wanted the shields removed. And another envoy 
was sent to Rome. But this time, I knew that the message would come back thanking me for my desire to honor the emperor as I did. But no, the message came back. Remove the shields to Caesarea and don't ever let this happen again. I tell you, you moderns, you don't know what it was like to rule over the Jews. You're so quick to pass your judgment, you just don't know what it was like. I knew that one more incident, one more report to Rome, and I was finished. And it was on that day called Friday. You moderns call it Good Friday. I never saw anything good in it for me. Uh, basically, it's, it put the last nail in my coffin. But it was on that day that this special event occurred. I was sleeping in my bed, in my palace. And suddenly the captain of the guard is calling my name. And he awakens me and says, Master, the Sanhedrin requests your presence. They want to speak with you. It wasn't even daylight. What is so important that it requires my presence before the sun comes up in the morning? Being a noble Roman, we're supposed to be in bed sleeping. It's all of our slaves who get up and do the work. We're supposed to enjoy a good night's sleep. But, noble Roman that I am, I got up and I went out. Uh, let me add, to add to the, to the mystery and to the mix of all this, I had to go out to them. They refused to come in because they said that that would be an abomination for them. Imagine I, a noble Roman, being referred to as a heathen uh, or among these ill-bred Jews. But I went out to them, and I should have known it. There were the Sanhedrin standing there, and behind them was a mob of people and they were swaying and they were saying things that, frankly, I could not understand. But then there in front of the Sanhedrin was the prisoner. He didn't look very dangerous. His hands were bound. Spittle was dripping from his beard. And I gazed into his eyes, and I looked away, but it brought me back. And that gaze was very unsettling, because it, 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 it almost, it, 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 I'd never ever had an experience like that. This man was just so mysterious, and he had a gaze that, that I did not understand at the time. And so I asked the Sanhedrin, What has this man done? And they answered, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up to you. Huh. Imagine that I, Pontius Pilate, ruler of old Judea, I was going to simply rubber stamp what they had decided to do. Well, they didn't know me that very well. Nor did they know Roman law because we Romans... Our goal was to defend the weak and to crush the proud. 
But in response to that question, I said, well, you have a law. Take him and judge him according to your own law. And they shouted back, we cannot put a man to death. Ha ha, yes, yes, I thought to myself, you stiff-necked people, you can't put a man to death. Because that is something that Rome reserves to itself. We reserve that right to ourselves. But to them, I said, well, if this is a capital crime, I will have to hear it. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but I learned that actually they had already convicted him of another crime, the crime of blasphemy, because he claimed to be their God. And uh, they knew that in Roman law, there was no law against blasphemy. We Romans are broad-minded and we're tolerant of all the gods. And we would no more put a man to death for blasphemy as your government would do for jaywalking or failure to pay your taxes. But I knew that this was a serious crime. And they had changed the charges. Having already convicted him, they changed the charge to one that they knew would have the greatest weight in my eyes. The charge of sedition or treason. And so I told them, I will have to examine the prisoner. And I went back into my palace and to my chair. And I ordered the prisoner to be brought in before me. And there he stood before me. And I looked at him again and caught that, that uneasy gaze. And so to dismiss my dis-ease, I asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he responded, Did you come to this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? <laughs> As if I, Pilate, would care about who was claiming to be the king of Israel. If he were a king, as I said previously, we would crush him as we've done so many others. But I looked at him again. Looked in those eyes. And I said, so, you are a king? And there was silence. And then he spoke and he said, You judge rightly that I am a king. For this reason I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To be a witness to the truth. Everyone who knows the truth, he said, hears my voice. Ah, okay. I get it now. He's one of these itinerant preachers who sees kingdoms in the clouds. And so I responded to him again. I said, so you are a king. And he said, yes. But he said, this kingdom is not my world. This world is not my kingdom, excuse me. If this world... If my kingdom were this world, my servants would be fighting 
to prevent me from being delivered up to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this realm. So you are a king. Ah, I see. You are one of these mysterious itinerant prophets who sees kingdoms elsewhere. But as I took in all that he was telling me, it became so obvious to me that this man had done nothing wrong. His kingdom was not of this world. He had broken no law. And so I went back out to the praetorium and sat on the bema. And I called all the people to attention and I said, hear me. I have examined this man according to the charges that you have brought against him. And I can find no evidence of his guilt. And immediately they begin to cry out, He perverteth the people. He's spreading these things all over the nation. He refuses to pay tribute to Caesar. He has made himself to be a king. Now those were serious charges. Those were serious charges. But I told them, but I find no guilt in this man. He has done nothing wrong. I I will give him some discipline and then I will release him. And they cried out, If you release him, you are no friend of Caesar. Suddenly, because I have such a fertile mind, I thought of a way maybe I could get out of all this. Because this was Passover time. And it was... uh, uh, It was a, a special time of the year... And, and if you'll forgive me, I'm going to back up. There's one more important, important event that I failed to tell you. When I told the people that I could find no wrong with him, somebody shouted out, He stirs up trouble all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem. And I said, Galilee? Is this man from Galilee? Well, here's my way out of this dilemma. This is not my jurisdiction. He needs to see Herod, the Tetrarch, for he is the ruler of Galilee. And I saw this as a very timely occasion because I needed to mend some fences with Herod. He has accused me on occasion of usurping his authority. And so I thought that it would be a a great favor for me to send the prisoner to Herod. And so that's what I did. And I went back into my bedroom, laid down once again upon my comfortable bed. And I must confess that I found it difficult to fall asleep because I kept looking and seeing that gaze. It was almost like our positions were reversed. He made me feel like I was standing at his bar as a prisoner of his bar. But eventually I fell off to sleep. But it seems that no sooner had I fallen asleep when the captain of the guard comes and says, Sir, they're back. The prisoner is back. The Sanhedrin 
They're back. The mob, they're back. Like a bad cold that just won't go away. They're back. And so I went out again. And there, standing before the Sanhedrin, there was the prisoner. Herod, indeed, had sent him back. Now, I must say that at least one good thing came out of that, because he sent me a note thanking me for thinking enough of him to send him the prisoner, because he had always wanted to examine this man. He was hoping that maybe he could see some signs from him. And from that time, Herod and I became good friends. And I know what you moderns have said about that. How the only way that Pilate and Herod could come together for anything was the rejection of the Son of God. How dare you, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. You, you Americans. You moderns. You accuse me of rejecting him. What about you? You've rejected him from your schools. You've rejected him from your government. You've rejected him from your culture. You've rejected him from space and the very moon that he created. And you dare accuse me of rejecting him. Hypocrites. Let's set the record straight. Now, I'm back in my dilemma. The prisoner is back before me. And I'm thinking of what I should do. And suddenly, the servant comes to me with a note from my wife. Very unusual. But I read the note and it said, Have nothing to do with this just man. For last night, I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. And I tell you that I would not have, I would not have turned him over. But I remembered that at this time of the year, every year at Passover, to try to curry the favor of the Jews, I would offer them the release of one prisoner from our jail. And so I call for the most malignant, filthy, criminally minded man that we had in our prison. And they brought before me a man called Barabbas. He was a murderer. He was a traitor. He was an insurrectionist. He was the very things they were accusing Jesus of being. And more. And I thought, if I make the choice between this man Jesus and this man Barabbas. And by the way, I learned that his first name was Jesus too. And I thought, if they have to choose between Jesus, Barabbas, mean, filthy, vile, and this serene, majestic Jesus, who is called the Christ, surely they would choose Jesus over the murderer, over the criminal. And so I stood them and I said, 
Choose before you which one you would have me release. Will it be Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Christ? It's a no-brainer. It's so obvious which one they should choose. But suddenly they begin to cry out, Give us Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! I was dumbfounded. I said, and what do you want me to do with Jesus called Christ? And as, as it was the sound of a serpent, the crowd began to cry, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And then I called for my servant and told him to bring me a basin of water. I decided this is the way I will bring an end to this. And they set the basin of water before me. And I said, I testify to you today as I was washing my hands with that water. I testify to you that I am innocent of this man's blood. You want to crucify him? See to it yourselves. And I testify to you that I would not have condemned him. I would not have done that. I saw him as a man. I examined him. And he was innocent. He had done nothing wrong. I, I, I would not have done it. It, it, it's, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't my decision. It, it, it just wasn't... It wasn't my decision. It was you. It was you Jews, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, you high priests. It was your fault. You did it. You wouldn't have anything but his blood. I told you that I found him innocent. I told you that there was no charge I could bring against him. But no, you said crucify him. You wanted his blood. And so I gave him over to you. I washed my hands and I told you, see to it yourselves. I'm not going to have any part of it. It's, it's your thing to do. If you want to do it, then you do it. I'm innocent, I tell you. I'm innocent. I, 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 I didn't do it. I, I didn't do it. I, I, I found no fault with the man. I, I, I'm innocent. I, I told them that I would have no part of it. I turned him over to them. I'm innocent, I tell you. I, I'm innocent. Mm. It was you. Yes. It, it was you moderns. It's your fault. It's your fault. Not me. It's you. How, uh, you, you know far more than I know. You know, you're far more culpable th than I was. You have your, your New Testament. And it speaks of this man. And how he was the Son of God. And even though they did crucify him on the cross, and they buried him, he rose. He's alive. He's a living God. He's a living Savior. You knew those things. I, I, didn't, I didn't know those things. You, you're far more culpable than I am. You're far more guilty than I should be. It, 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 it's not me. It's not me. It, it, it's you. And, and I've come to warn you. 
That's it. I've come to warn you. Because some of you this very minute are thinking about doing the same thing that I did. You're thinking that there's some middle ground. You're thinking that there's a fence that you can sit on. And I'm here to tell you that there is no middle ground. And there is no fence to sit on. I'm here to tell you that if you try to wash your hands of His blood as I have tried to wash my hands of His blood, you will never be able to cleanse yourself through all eternity. Just as I have not been able to cleanse myself through all eternity. I did not condemn Him, but I did not confess Him to be the Lord God. I did not deny Him, but I did not declare Him to be the Messiah, the King of Israel, and the King of all kings. I did not crucify Him, but I did not crown Him to be who He is, the Lord God Almighty, the eternal Son of God, who came as the man Christ Jesus, And He came not to die for Himself. He came to die for you. And if you get up and leave this place this morning, having never made a decision as to whether you will either accept Him or reject Him, there is no middle ground. There is no fence to sit on. You either must accept Him to be the Lord God, to be Israel's Messiah and the King of the earth. Accept Him as the Redeemer who died for you. You must either accept that or deny that. And if you do, if you do, then it is you, not me. You are Pontius Pilate. Well, as far as we know, Pilate stepped into eternity without ever receiving Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. What a tragedy to have been so close to him and yet be so far for all eternity. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you to think about um, this one question. Because this one question is the question. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Is He the Son of God? Is He the one that went to the cross and paid for the penalty of man's sin? Is He the one? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that you've fallen short of God's glory? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only bridge to the Father? And do you believe that you must repent and trust Christ as your Savior? That's what you need to consider. Um, I wasn't there and neither were you. But one of the most amazing things to me is to see the response 
of the disciples after the ascension of Christ when the church started. And they went out and they declared that indeed Jesus Christ was who He said He was. I trust today that you know Him as your Savior. There are people, think about this, all over our country, all around the world, that are celebrating Easter. And some of them celebrate it in different ways than Christians. Because there's only one way to celebrate today. And that is to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I trust that you know Him as your Savior today. Let's stand and let's have prayer and then I think B and Naomi are going to come and close with a song to you. Lord, at one point in your life, you turned to your disciples and said, Who do you say that I am? And um, Lord, I, I pray that every one of us in this room today would consider that question. Who do we say that Jesus Christ is? Lord, I just want to thank You personally that I can say that You are my Savior and You're my Lord. And I pray that today every person in this room would be able to say those very words. I pray this all in the name of the One who redeemed us. Amen. Guys, uh, so I was trying to figure out what to close the service with. I was listening to different songs. and um, This one's been out a while. It's been on radio. Probably many of you have heard it. But the second verse kind of caught hold of me. Uh, it says, I was dead in the grave. I was covered in sin and shame. I heard mercy call my name. He rolled the stone away. It puts me in the grave with Christ. Uh, Ephesians, Paul writes in Ephesians that uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But that Christ has made us alive. So, the chorus says, I'm alive, I'm alive because He lives. Let my song join the one that never ends. So if you've heard this song, you know it, we want you to sing out. If you haven't, just listen to the words and let it minister to you.
Christmas and there's a we celebrate the birth of Christ and we celebrate at Easter the resurrection of Christ but we can celebrate that every day we also can celebrate his certain return for us and I'm going to read this scripture and we'll be dismissed after I conclude reading verse 18 so let's read it together first Thessalonians chapter 4 if you have your Bibles turn there verse 13 he says but we do not want you to be uninformed Brethren, believers, about those who are asleep. The word sleep means dead. Okay, those who are dead. That you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. That's the unbelieving world. They have no hope. For if we believe, and it should be since we believe, that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Man, let's sit back down. We'll preach. Then, 
we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord because heaven is about the Lord. And then Paul writes, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And all God's people said, Amen. You are dismissed. Happy Easter.